Blog Talk Radio. Celebrating their 20th year in radio broadcasting with news not heard in the news. The International Taz and Paula Show interviews experts from all walks of life, bridging research and personalized journeys, revealing new ways to unleash life with a passion of a heartbeat. And now, here's Taz and Paula. Here's to a great afternoon. We um, we have a couple of minutes. Be- we're a couple of minutes past noon, and our one hour with you is fully packed with pearls of wisdom. Believe me, I was so nourished as I dove into our guest author's Robert Clancy's book. It was a delight far beyond my deepest expectations. I read it from cover to cover. Just couldn't put it down into the end, and then I wanted more. And thank goodness we have Robert today with us. I love it. Uh, His book, (laughs) The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul, is an evocative collection of inspirational stories and transcendental journeys that will transform the way you think about community service while bringing deeper meaning to your career path and your life. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Yeah, we're going to have a packed hour, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, Robert Clancy is an entrepreneur, inspirational speaker, ordained minister, and published author from the heart of upstate New York. He is also a co-founder and managing partner of Spiral Design Studio, one of the largest full-service graphic design and web development firms in the Northeast. Over the last past 24 years, Robert and Lauren Payne, his wife and business partner, has nurtured their dedication to exceptional, effective design and innovative technology while making community service an everyday reality within their business. Balancing his corporate commitments with his lifelong compassion for humanity, Robert supports ongoing volunteerism within his business and his everyday life. Well, welcome to our show, Robert. Uh, We're so glad to have you here. (laughs) Well, it is a great pleasure to meet you and to be on your show today. Well, I was thought that maybe we could start the story, our um, communication with you today with you sharing your life-changing spiritual experience that happened at the age of 19. It seems like that got everything going. Yes, that is, um, I I believe that I've been on this path, but that was something that really changed me. And as you say, it is a a life-changing divine experience. And I'm a programmer. I'm an intellectual, you know, nuts and bolts, electronics person. I'm analytical to the core. And I lost all faith, everything. And uh, during a difficult period when I was 19, it's when um, friends of mine had committed suicide. I had lost friends in horrible car accidents. And um, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me. And I was a straight-A student up to that point, just in my second year of college. And all my grades went to hell in a handbasket. Like, my whole life just fell apart. And that's the point when I can say I hit complete rock bottom, and I know where that is, and I know what's there. And um, no one knew I was struggling. And I had, uh, in the restaurant I worked at, a waitress pulled me aside, and she said, you don't look good. And I didn't. I was probably pale. I had circles under my eyes. I hadn't been sleeping. I was out drinking, um, doing all sorts of things. I was mixing prescription drugs with alcohol. No one knew I was doing all this stuff, and I just checked out. And she gave me that thousand-yard stare, and that's when I broke down because she could see through me. And, um, you know, she took a pamphlet out of her purse, and she put it in my hand and said, you need to read this. This is how to meditate, and it's helped me through some difficult periods in my life. And I want you to stay out of those bars tonight. She said, and if I see you out there, you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, I kind of went home and um, read the booklet, and I started meditating. I was about three hours in, 
And I thought I saw this light, you know, through my whatever they describe as your mind's eye in the book. And mm-hmm. I open I opened my eyes and I saw light shining on the wall and then my shoulders dropped and I'm like, Okay, I'm not you know, there's a light there, so I've seen it through my eyelids, I guess. And so I got out of my bed and I moved the curtain on my room and I couldn't break the beam of the light and it looked like a, a laser pointer in a dark oval, like a shadow. But the darkest oh. shadow you could ever see. Almost like space, you know, and I'm I got up and I was a couple feet from it and I looked at it and I was like, This is really strange and I said I you know, it looks like the light's coming from the wall. So I sat on my bed and I watched it and it was flickering. And it got brighter and then the um it actually unfolded into all I can describe as an angel. I could see her eyes, nose and mouth and it looked like Almost like there was a hole through my wall. And I know it sounds absolutely crazy because um, I kept it a secret for 30 years. I didn't tell you know only a handful of people because I'm like they're going to put me in a straitjacket if I <laughs> tell this. And um, that's when I said, "Oh my God!" out loud. And the um, the hole or the portal or whatever it was enlarged to the size of the room and uh, the wall, and she came through it. And wow. it was like a spirit form. I could see it was translucent. It looked like she was made out of light. And she was larger than a person, too. It was like, I'd say, seven feet versus, you know, a normal person or six, six, five, seven, I, you know, estimate. But, you know, her her head was larger than a person's head. And I went nose to nose with her because she came right in and went right to my face. And I think she kissed me. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I backed up and went kind of cross-eyed and put my wow. hands up. And she backed up, and um, while I closed my eyes, um, I experimented with it because I could see her with my eyes open or closed, and I could see it almost look like an x-ray when you look at it through your, what they say is your mind's eye. And when I opened my eyes, it was, you know, crystal sharp, and I could see light coming from her onto me or, you know, like these waves of that. And I I think she healed me at that point, and... um, I thought of something funny because I thought, can you read minds? And here I am in my own 19-year-old self, you know. <laughs> and I thought, can you read minds? And I thought of this really corny joke. And that's when she smiled and nodded her head and blinked. And I thought, well, I better watch what I'm thinking then. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I mean, I was just in awe. I, I was put into, a, like, peace. I, I can only describe it as that when she came there. And the wings unbelievable i just the feathers i stu- i had enough time to study every bead in her dress every everything every feather every just the detail and um it looked like dove wings but they were just huge just four feet on each side and um i let it happen and then she floated forward at the end and raised her index finger and touched me in my forehead and that is the life-changing part because um, it was like being plugged into heaven. I mean, I know what that kind of love feels like. I, I saw everything, my path. Uh, I'm supposed to work with youth. I'm going to be inspiring them. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm 19 years old. I'm still a youth. What do you mean I'm going to inspire a youth? And these words and pictures just came into me, although no spoken words. Um, it was completely silent, but I felt everything. And I actually talked to myself in the mirror for about an hour after this. After she slowly went back into the portal and back to the pinnacle of light, and then it was gone. Sat there for a minute. My whole body was warm, and I felt just complete love, everything. Went to the mirror and said, dude, that just happened. <laughs> and, you know, what else am I going to do? I said, this might sound crazy, but you're going to have to answer me. And I was elated beyond anything. And I wanted to run out in the street and shout at the top of my lungs, like, heaven is real, and... And it's all, you know, peace and and kindness matters. It it helps everything. It's part of the universe. And I saw it all, and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't even tell the woman that gave me the book. I just said, thank you, and I was just silent about it. I never told her either. (laughs) (laughs) Not my parents. Yeah. It sounds like almost like a a near-death experience that you had. Yes. And I had, um, I didn't tell my parents, um, unfortunately, you know, my mom passed away uh, later that night that I told my dad, and I needed to tell him, and that was uh, about two and a half years ago. And I just, you know, he was a World War II veteran. This is a guy who's been on Omaha Beach during the Normandy 
invasion of D-Day. He liberated a concentration camp in World War II. He saw the most horrific things you can possibly imagine that people can do to another person. And, you know, he made it through that. And, you know, he was married to my mom for 64 years. And I, I was like, you know, that kind of love, I, I can't imagine that, you know, that dedication to each other and what that's going to do to his soul. So he was in a wheelchair from a stroke, and I knelt down next to him. I asked my um, brother and sister to, that I could take him back to his room. And I said, Dad, I have something to tell you. And it's the truth, and it's the God's honest truth. And I explained to him just what I told you. And he didn't say anything. He just nodded his head. I hugged him. I said, you know, Mom's going to pass away tonight. I already know this. I said, I just want to make sure you're ready and that you're not going to give in. And he said, I'm not going to give up, and that was it. Next morning, she passed away, you know, that that early that morning, and and we took him down to see her. And um, I thought it was going to be gut-wrenching. And he just looked and smiled and said, doesn't she look beautiful? Oh, God. And then later, her brother, yeah, yeah, her brother was in the room, and and he just looked at me and he said, tell your Uncle Danny about the angel. That's all he ever said about it. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did the angel ever give you a name? Yes. Um, Oh, okay. It was Gabriel. Gabriel. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I looked into uh, her. It was a her. Um, I think that angels choose the form that is most comfortable for you, and she looked like a Greek a Roman goddess or statue and that would definitely fit my life because I'm I had my wedding cake made into the Parthenon, let's just put it that way. So <laughs> I like Greek and Roman architecture and that thing and that's exactly what she looked like. <laughs> so when she came did she um uh was the transference like a telepathic message that you could actually see what you were gonna be doing in the future? Oh yeah. Not no. It was almost like seeing a slideshow, and then I saw these ripples, like water. And at that time, it was just I was overwhelmed with you're going to inspire youth and work with them. And I never understood what that was until it was five, uh, five or six years later. I got involved with Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership, and it's um, an international organization that inspires youth through leadership for community service. And Hugh O'Brien, the actor who founded the program. Um, he was played wide up in the 1950s. He he met Dr. Albert Schweitzer and founded this program. And it just sounded so wonderful that I had to be involved with it. And in one of his writings, when he founded it, he talked about the ripples of kindness and that each of these students that go through this or these young people are like ripples and their kindness ripples out forever. And those were the ripples I saw. Well, he wrote the the foreword to your book, so you yes. guys, you must be close. <clears throat> uh, yeah, volunteering that many years, um, his health is starting to decline a little bit. But um, it was a, back at the time when we were when I was finishing up the book, I asked him to write the foreword, and he graciously agreed. And he said, "I couldn't think of a better person to do this for. You've been volunteering with my organization for 25 years, and I talked to him every day for two weeks." And he told me everything about why he founded the program, the importance of it, and it was almost like he was transferring the knowledge to somebody that is has been in, involved that many years so that I would have firsthand of what it meant to him and why so I could help carry on his legacy. So how did all of this happen as far as how did this book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul, begin for you? Well, it's actually somebody from the Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership heard my stories and she said, I'm writing, I'm going to write a book one day and you should write a book too. You have these amazing stories. And I started writing it on the plane on the way back from Houston. I was uh, flying Southwest Airlines. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm all set. So I get my laptop out and I'm like, I'm going to start writing. Battery goes dead. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, I got a pad of paper. Can't find it. I have to get the uh, flight attendant. I'm like, I just need a pad of paper. I get my pen out. I'm like, I'm going to start writing. And then the pen doesn't work. I'm like, okay, if you really want me to write this book, I got a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I started writing. I flagged her down, you know, the flight attendant. And I was like, uh, my pen's dead. Do you have a pencil? Because I know that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I started writing it. And um, the first story I wrote was my friend Ken, who passed away from cancer around age 27. And um, I was crying. Like, I didn't realize how deep those stories went into my soul. And um, I told his story. And... You know, it's somebody that initially I didn't, I really, he he just rubbed me the wrong way. And we got to know each other. And, you know, first impressions and those things are when you judge someone. That was one of my life lessons about judgment. And I needed to write his story. And it was a beautiful thing. And I ended up in the hospital um, just before he went home. They couldn't do any more for him. He had uh, brain cancer. And it's one of them, you know, he actually outlived and set new statistics for it. But the day before, all the people, my friends that knew him, were saying these incredibly beautiful things about him and his life, things that you say at a funeral. And I wrote them down and drove to the hospital. And at this point, his head, you know, he had tumors, so his head was was enlarged he had a mate you know he lost his eye um he was in bad shape and it's just not something that anyone could handle seeing and i i don't know if i was ready to see it and i went in there i didn't say a word for like the first half hour and i was just crying i watched the sun go down i took the paper out and i started reading them to him one after another and all of a sudden in the middle of it he cracks a joke (laughs) and says are you sure they're talking about me and I mean, I'm crying and laughing as hard as you possibly can in both sides. And then he starts crying. I'm like, you can't do this to me. And um, it's just a beautiful experience. And the last thing he said, you know, he said, I'll see you again. And I turned around and I said, we know that's not going to happen here, but I know I'll see you again on the other side. And he's one of the first people I told about the angel. Oh. And he saluted me. And that was the last time I saw him. Wow. That was that was wonderful to be able to share all of that with him. Yeah, and, and um it was fifteen years ago. So I, I contacted his mom and you know, at the time the book was coming out and I, I said, I have your son you know, I told her the title and she said she was tingling. I looked her up and I said, I don't know if you remember me because it's been a long time. She said, Oh yeah, yeah. And um I told her I wrote her son's story in my book and I wanted her blessing. It was silent, and you know, it took her a couple days and to read it. You know, I sent it over, and then I got this incredible call. You know, it was just beautiful, and she said, "You, I, I knew what my son stood for, but you showed me what he really stood for because he did these random acts of kindness and things that she never knew. And that night that I went to the hospital, I learned later." was the night they didn't go. And she was always wondering what he did that night. And he was with me. And so now she's like, you know, his his parents are like my adopted parents. You know, we have them over for dinner. And, you know, just reconnected on that level. And it's just, she's like, you brought him back to me and filled a hole in my soul that's been there for 15 years. And I, I can't put, you know, a price on that. Well, it sounds like the book wasn't only a healing for her, but it was a healing for you also. Yes. Well, I think it's a healing for others who read it. I, your book is like light years beyond anything I've experienced to read, and it has like hit the nail on the head, so to speak, for a multi multiple times. I I too have been gracefully humbled, without being outright embarrassed at times with the and with the hitchhikers aspect that has literally stopped me to stillness for a few minutes. I mean, it, literally it. <laughs> I because I've known at that moment that I've been given an insight that I could not have received any other way. And literally, you know, I gave prayer and thanks for the endowment that I've been delivered. Uh, it, it, within your book, the synergy of love and spirituality combines, d- deposits an indwelling that impacts the soul. I, it, it's, it like changes your outlook. Well, I'm smiling ear to ear, so I really appreciate that. And the other is, I've never read any spiritual books, (laughs) believe it or not. And during the time I wrote that, I read no books. I didn't want to have any influence from anything. I just wanted to 
right. And I know I can handle dialogue better now. You know, it's like four, you know, there's, you, you know, as you practice and, and more writing, and I'm working on the new book and that manuscript, and it's just getting stronger. Um, so I may do a reboot of that because I have a couple other stories I want to add in there. And the other was having these decodes after the stories because um, I found some people read the story and they're like, I saw how you did that journey, but how do I do that? And they didn't, they didn't make that leap over. And the decodes in my new book, the, the manuscript is um, Soul Ciphers, uh, is the title, Decoding a Life of Hope and Happiness. And it's kind of combining my love of programming with the spiritual side because they're both on that same level. Yeah. And I found that there's like little decodes. So I might have a story on a journey of happiness or trying to discover what true happiness is. And the decode at the end of the book might be, or at the end of that chapter, is do you smile when you're alone? Yeah. Yeah. And how many people don't do that? <laughs> so I just do it because it's like natural things for my life. I, I don't know. And, I, and they're like, how do you stay happy? And I'm like, I don't know. I smile when I'm alone. And they're like, what? Wow. I never thought about that. So I write that down. I'm like, okay, I guess that must be one of the decodes. But um, I see things that way. And in December 1st, 2012 is when the, um, I'd say the floodgate opened up. I woke up that day and the words started coming every day and I haven't missed a day since. So I started posting them on my Facebook page. And I don't think it's a coincidence, as you know, angel numbers, but I had 111 fans on my page the day that I started posting these. And now there's over 280,000. Wow. I wake up with these words and everything. And somebody asked me, like, you know, you always tell the story of the angel, but have you ever told how it changed you? And it still is. And how it's changed me is it's almost like I see data points on everything around us, everything. Anything can inspire me. I see inspiration. I see love. I see compassion, peace, kindness in everything. Um, somebody handed me, you know, just a fire extinguisher and that can inspire me. I can, you know, a sign. I saw a billboard and it was a wonderful quote. It said, peace of mind is a beautiful thing. I drive past it and I read it. And I'm like, wow, that's great. All of a sudden, half a second later, it said, it just rewrote it. It said, in my mind, peace of mind may be a beautiful thing, but peace of heart allows you to see the beauty in everything. Yeah. And it one-upped it. <laughs> You, you and know, that's there, how it I, have to, I have to tell you a coincidence this today. Um, I was getting ready for your interview, so I was clearing out my emails, and there was an advertisement for a hotel, and in it, it, it had soul. I mean, this came right at me. It said soul, and I thought, wow, this must be the message for today's interview. <laughs> yeah. So even like a simple flower, you know, everything, I can see that. And it's like I, I see a flower and, and then a quote will come and it will be, some people leave their house and walk in the garden of their life only to encounter thorns. But when I walk in that garden and encounter those thorns, I know a rose is nearby reaching for the light. And it just goes like that. Are you ever amazed at what comes through? I mean, or are you amazed daily? <laughs> I'm amazed daily, and I'm on your side of the fence. I just want to let you know, there's like, I'm inside me, and I'm sitting inside of myself looking at what's happening, and I'm in awe of it, too. I'm on your side going, whoa, how does he do that? Like, what's, where does that come from? Or how does, you know, those the words, and they just keep coming. And I am literally on both sides of that, and, you know, experiencing it and then having it happen and knowing, um, and that's what I said to myself in the mirror after after the angel when I was 19. I said, you're going to have to live with knowing for the rest of your days on this planet. And no one is ever going to believe you. And you're going to have to carry that. And I have. But I do know it's real. And I was not hallucinating. I wish I you know, could explain it the way to I was on drugs or something, but I wasn't. And... There were physical and emotional and everything that happened that moment. And I know other people have experienced things like this. Um, yeah. They just might not talk about it. But yeah. well, um, I'm an analytical person. and Yeah, 
and had it. Was it hard for you not to share it with anybody for so many years? I mean, it was on one level, um, and after I told my dad, and that's a great question. I, I really, I just said, you know, I can't keep this to myself. I can't take this to the grave. People need to know, and I know I could be ridiculed. I know I could lose things, but if that what happened to me is 100% absolute true, then I have no fear, and I've lived without fear or doubt or worry for 30 years. So I was able to release it, and I I think there's a divine plan behind it, and I just let go of the reins a long time ago, and they would let me know when the right time to speak, and it is now. Yeah, yeah. people are, are open, or they're opening up to be able to accept this. So it's a perfect time. Well, people really need these kinds of stories and remembrances in order to bring, um, ignite them an awareness that perhaps they haven't been aware in. And it's it's gorgeous. It absolutely yeah. is gorgeous. You know, um, over the last um, couple of months, I I I bought a cyclamen flower at the um a couple of years ago and the flowers on it were gorgeous and not only that but they gave me a perfume usually cyclamen do not have fragrance come off of them and this year um it, it bloomed for like a year and a half which is unusual and um everybody i said do you believe this perfume and then they go oh my <laughs> it's really awesome and um and this year i went to the to the office depot hoping to get another cyclamen and I smelled a hundred cyclamen. I couldn't get a smell off of any flower. <laughs> and and so I came back home and I replanted my cyclamen and it was like, oh my gosh, there was, I took off all its leaves, I replanted and I thought, oh my gosh, I'll never yeah. see this again. <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden the leaves started popping within a week or two and they started coming up. And then I I um, gave it some water one day and uh, and this fragrance came off of it without the flowers. <laughs> and it kind of blew me away. I went, oh, you're going to do this again. I got so excited. <laughs> and so it's kind of when you get these little imprints in life that kind of throw this happy ball at you. <laughs> yeah, and then there's... There's a woman on my page. She just said, "Your posts are my God winks." Oh, I love oh, wow. it! I love it. Perfect, perfect. Have you ever thought about because you work with youth, um, uh, kind of having a, a class or a workshop for youth to ex- explore the writing and their stories? I think that would be so wonderful for young people to be able to do that, like you you are doing. Yeah, I think I, you know, and and it's a great point that you bring up because it's where am I taking this? And and I might do a workshop um, and an online type um, course that I have a whole workbook because I've actually downloaded these exercises for people to incorporate into their life. And it involves drawing, it involves um, imagery and I call my downloads because it's just I wake up and it's already written. I have entire poems. I have pieces of manuals, um, you know, for this workshop. And I think there's some component of that. And, and having volunteered for 26 years with Hugo Youth Leadership, 18 years with Junior Achievement um, and, and teaching and working with youth, it would be a great fit for me. Um, but also I have... a uh, people that are dealing with grief, people, people that are dealing with depression, um, loss of a child is just devastating. And those people seem to be drawn to me. And I think I have something to do with that and preventing suicide and um, just getting through that grief. And, and a quote came in for that. And it was, letting go of grief is not letting go of your loved one. It's creating more room in your heart for the love that you have for them. And if you have a great amount of grief, then you must have a very big heart, and your heart needs to be filled with that love that you've shared because it's endless, and you need to share that with others. 
you in your book you talk about volunteerism and um what is your definition of volunteerism? It looks like it began for you at age six. Yes, and uh, you're correct, and that's um, the story when I went to Jamaica, and it was my first lesson in compassion and really understanding what that was. And I think I've always understood what love is. And somebody asked me, like, what's your earliest memory? And it was before I could speak. Um, I knew what love was. And that is the um, essence of everything. And volunteerism to me, as my definition, is anything you do to help someone else. And that could be simply sharing a smile. If you have people that are so busy with their jobs, their life, their family, and they can't volunteer, you can every day as long as you volunteer your soul. You volunteer yourself in some capacity to put a smile on someone else's face, to make their day just a little bit easier. And it can be as simple as that. That's a tool you carry with you every day. And how many times don't we use it, you know? You miss that opportunity to share your smile, even with yourself. And the other part is threading it into your life and making volunteerism part of your life, not taking away from it. Um, when I incorporate volunteerism in my life, for instance, my son was into martial arts and he was into um, the Boy Scouts, and he still is, and I volunteer at the you know at the at the Boy Scout troop, um, and I get to spend a week with him at a summer camp and see him develop into a young man. And if I was not volunteering, we'd be dropping him off and picking him up a week later after he's had this life-altering experience out there. And mm -hmm. I'm able to mentor other people too, and it, you know the other kids look up to you, and you know you don't have a day off from being a role model. Everyone, you know, there's always someone who looks up to you. You never have a day off, and to you, you know, to me, when I'm out there, I'm that role model. I have to set the example for them. And then they, the older scouts, help that. And the other is, you know, I, I learned, uh, I got into martial arts because my son was and um, became a fifth degree black belt. I have my own school that I, I teach uh, a couple days a week and I have students and that journey of seeing him go through that and become a black belt. So, you know, it's all volunteer work. You can always thread it into whatever your passions are make it part of your volunteer work. What about when people speak on the phone? I think that that also is really important if you have like a smile in your on your voice that really penetrates the earpiece. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope mine's coming through because I have one on right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yes, um it it does, and I, it makes a difference. And um, there's a great book by uh, Teresa de Gabra, and she just wrote this um, book called Mass Influence. And she she talks about practicing, um, you know, when you're driving your car, smile, and and when you're in the mirror or wherever you are, and bring that um, to your um, presence of whatever you're doing, and it will become part of your life. So that way, when, when you go and you get an interview or you're getting a job interview or whatever it is, you're just going to naturally smile. So that's a great book, and uh, it just came out. It's actually one of the bestsellers. Uh, she's an international best-selling author, and I had the pleasure of meeting um, her and working with her. Yeah, it's like your your heart showing through your voice, you know. It's, well, it's what I've gorgeous. found is if I, if I go out in the community, I, I get to know what my community is all about, what it's like, and, and who are my neighbors. If and if you don't get out and you know volunteer or do something, then you're kind of like in your house and you don't know anyone on the outside. So right. You receive, and you and and teaching time. your your children too. It's it's important to bring your family into it. And and uh, a lot of the high schools now have uh, programs for kids to volunteer. So I think that's great. I have a friend whose son goes out to grammar schools and helps the uh, the teachers teach PE, and he gets right. credit for it. But he's he's getting yeah. he just loves it. He loves the it to death. He can't wait until he can do it. So and yeah, my son him. had volunteered, um, you know, for a summer camp and helped out mentoring the little kids, you know. And he said, believe it or not, the second graders don't cry as much as the fourth graders do. <laughs> so he came back <laughs> and he was working with them, but. You know, seeing him in that capacity and having that, because he went through the program as a kid, and then seeing him now 
be in that mentorship role in that same program and being able to help others. And um, you know, he said, you know, I, I let the, you know, sometimes I'll I'll lay back and we're playing a game and I'll let them win or, you know, I'll try I'll challenge them, but then, you know, I don't crush them. <laughs> you know, it's their, but he, he it was just how he goes through the whole thing and he's a very kind soul and and that's his you know his makeup. Well, that's part of the wave you were talking about. You know, that your angel gave you the wave. That's that's part of the wave. Yes. In your book, Robert, you speak about uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> and um, can you share that so our listeners <laughs> That is probably one of the funniest stories in there. But <laughs> I was a good friend of mine. I mean, I've known my uh, one of my friends since I was two years old. And um, we grew up on the same street. He was at 24, and our number of our house was 42, so our mail, mail would get mixed up every once in a while. And um, got to know him, and we've been lifelong friends since that time. It's like 48 years, and uh, few, you know, several years ago, his son was um, having a party, and it was when the Spider-Man movie came out, and uh, he had pumped him up and hired a guy who's going to come in and be Spider-Man and entertain at this party. And I get this call at, at my office, and he's like, uh, he tells me, you know, this guy just quit. He, he's bailed. He's not going to be Spider-Man at the party. And I've been building up my son for three months that Spider-Man's coming. And, you know, I'm desperate. It's like a week away. And I know you know some martial arts. So I'm thinking, he wants me to go over there and beat this guy up. You're going to be Spider-Man, you know. <laughs> Take him out. And he said, no, I bought a professional Spider-Man costume, and it's too big for me. But I think it would fit you. And I'm thinking in my mind, there is no way I am putting on a leotard and going into a room with four-year-olds as Spider-Man. And I flat out told him no. And I could tell by his voice, you know, he's like, just just try. Can you just, can I just drop it off? And, and I'm a desperate, I'm at the end of my rope. So I said, all right, drop it off. So I was in a brown paper bag and I took it home. I made sure my, my wife and son weren't home and I unfurled this thing on the floor <laughs> And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, eh, it looks like it might fit. So I, I put on the uh, you know the bottom part, and then you got to put the headpiece on. And I'm like, seemed to fit, you know, and I'm looking at myself. And then I, I walk past the mirror, and I'm, I said, whoa, there's Spider-Man. <laughs> so I stop, and I pose for a second, and I'm like, I am Spider-Man. I can do this. Look at that. <laughs> so I call him back, and I and I still got the, the costume on except for the headpiece, and I, I got, just took that off, and I said, Okay, it fits. Um, what time at your house? He said, "Oh no, it's not at our house. It's at like you know, this Chuck E. Cheese place." <laughs> I'm like, "No, no." And he said, oh, "I said I'll just change in the bathroom there." And he said, "My son is really smart, and his son is." And he said, "If he recognizes who you are, or sees you disappear from the party, he's going to put two and two together. He is that smart. You just have to change in the car." And <laughs> You're thinking, why didn't I change before I went? Well, trust me, you cannot drive with a Spider-Man costume <laughs> on because it's too slippery on the wheel, and it's a one-piece thing, so oh. you have to change in the car. <laughs> so I'm about four oh, parking no. lots away, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get arrested. How does Superman do this in a phone booth? I'm I'm in the back seat of my car, and I'm like in my boxers, and I'm like trying to get this thing on. I don't know. So <laughs> I'm like, people are going to come and take me away. So I get this thing on, and I, I go up there. And they let me into the party, and the music starts playing, and the kids go absolutely crazy. I mean, they think I'm Spider-Man, and I'm doing all sorts of martial arts stuff, and, you know, they're jumping all over me. Um, you know, like, you're like a giant Spider-Man teddy bear. It's the only way I can describe it. And I'm thinking, okay, it's almost done, and I'm going to get out of here. It's, you know, his son doesn't know who I am. It's all good. And all of a sudden, one of the other kids, he looks me right in the eye, comes right up to my nose, looks right in there, and he says, I know who he is. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. Hey, hey, Johnny, let's not let's not ruin my, my best friend's son's life and tell him who Spider-Man's secret identity is, and he'll be scarred for life and hate me forever. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm telling everybody. And he gets all the kids' attention, pulls them all together, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm looking over at my friend, and he's got his you know shoulders shrugged, and he's like, no, 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 no. And the kid points right at me, and he says, he's Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? At that moment, I realized I am Spider-Man. 
And mm-hmm. um, so I gather all the kids in real close, and I say, okay, now that you know my secret identity, you can't tell anyone because it, you know, that's that's a secret. I said, do you want to know what the most powerful word is in the whole world? And their eyes go big. And I said, it's love. And they all go, whoa. And they're, they look like they're writing it down. I said, and um, you need to hug your parents every day and tell them that magic word that you love them. And they're they're gathering even closer, like they're sitting Indian style, you know, or crisscross. <laughs> and they keep inching up with their knees, you know, they're like moving toward me. <laughs> And I said, and then uh, you have to take out the garbage and clean your room and uh, make up your beds <laughs> and be good college students. <laughs> and so I give them all the stuff. And so I go out, you know, then I said, Spider-Man has to leave and they're going to cut the cake so um, I can be there for that. And so I leave and I go change in the car. And I step out of the car and, you know, you're just like regular Joe again. And I'm thinking, okay, that was that was fun. I was a superhero. So I'm like, uh, but now I'm just me. And I walk into the place. And the parents surround me, and each of them hug me, and they say, you are a superhero. Oh. Because that was the most beautiful thing we've seen. Yeah. And what you just did for our kids. Yeah. And I lost it. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, wow. And then I thought, you know, anyone can be a superhero. You just have to find your unique talent, exploit it for the greater good of humanity, a cape and uh, mask are optional, but a kind heart is essential. <laughs> Anybody can be a superhero, and it was the most. Uh, it was one of those life changing moments, and I, I totally didn't want to do it. And now I have a professional Spider Man costume, and I can. I did wear it for Halloween this year. <laughs> you have to do a lot of sit ups to get in Spider Man. Trust me. <laughs> I thought, well, oh, what a perfect Halloween costume when you did use it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, in your in but, your book, what's your favorite story of all the stories? Because we've shared a couple, but do you have a favorite? Yeah, it's the one. I, you know, the one that's most endearing to me is when I was my when I was six and went to Jamaica. It's it's something that stuck with me my entire life, and it was the, Alex the Pool Man. Um, you know, I met this man, and he worked at, at in the resort, and he cleaned the pool. And he was probably around, I'd say, between 18 and 22. He had to be in that range, and I was six. But we knew each other. It's almost like we were instant friends. It's like, wow, where have you been? I mean, I, I've been waiting for you. And he was like, he was, you're my little man, you know, and he just took me under his wing. And he saved my life three times in three different ways on that that I remember, and I remember every detail. He taught me how to swim because I was afraid oh. of the water. I'd, I'd fallen in the water when I was probably three or four and, and didn't want to have anything to do with it. And he was an expert swimmer, so he inspired me and taught me how to swim. And later that week, I fell in the pool, and there were no lifeguards or anybody around, and I probably would have drowned. Wow. And uh, I knew how to swim because I fell in the deep end and I was able to come back up and I swam out. And I was so excited when I got, I figured out how to swim from what he taught me that I went and found him and said, you know, I did it, I did it. You know, I, I learned how to swim. And he was so excited. He said, I'm going to take you to my secret shell stash in the in the jungle. It's down on the beach and it's off into the, you know, where palm trees and it was off in the side there. And on the way there, I saw this purple balloon in the water, and I went running to it. And the next thing you know, the wind uh, was knocked out of me. Uh, you know, I hit the ground on my back. I didn't even know what happened. And he ran like a cheetah and scooped me under his arm and threw me because it was a Portuguese man-of-war jellyfish. Oh. And it was one of the biggest ones he'd seen. It wrapped around his legs and stung him. And I started crying, and he told me, no, no, no. He said, little man, <laughs> little man, like, little man, if this terrible creature touch you, you'll be no more. <laughs> and um, I saw what it did to him, and he showed me the other scars he had. And that's when he told me about his village. And he said, I dive for coral to sell to the tourists, and that's how I make money to help support my beautiful village. And I wanted nothing else but to go see this village. I begged my parents and they checked into, you know, him and his background and everything, and they let me drive up with him to this village. And they didn't go. It was just me. I, I wanted to go by myself with him to see his village and meet the kids there and everything. 
I arrived and there's this large tree and it's like a tree of life and all there's kids in the tree and they're pulling um, what I thought were green baseballs, but they were avocados and they're tossing them down. And then all the kids from the village, I hear them all laughing and smiling and they come around, but their clothes were tattered. I remember this one kid had like a white and red striped shirt and it had holes in it, but they were happy and there were no toys. It's just them. And they piled all this fruit around my feet. And I kept saying, no, no, I'm just like you. Don't, you don't have to do this for me. And at that moment, Alex hoisted me up and put me onto a donkey, and they had made a crown out of palm leaves and put it on my head. So I was treated like royalty. And they walked me through this village, and I could see the beautiful views that they had of the ocean and um, just how much they cared about each other in the community. And when I went home, just before I left, I asked my parents to give all of my clothes to the kids. And they did. I only went home with the clothes on my back. Wow. And that's my first act of compassion. So that is one of my favorite stories in the book, and it's really detailed as far as everything I could remember. And I can still see the airport when we flew in. Um, you know, and I wish, I wish I could have one more conversation with Alex. You know, he's probably 70 now, and I'm 50. <laughs> or his kids, or somebody from his family. I only have, I still have a Polaroid picture of him from 1971, and I still have the shells that that man gave me. And have they're on my desk. Have you ever tried no, to find I think, the No, I think that's a great question. I think only Oprah could find them. I don't know. I don't know the resources. <laughs> Oh, it sounds like your parents, I mean, you were born into the right family. It sounds like you're, you had wonderful parents that were compassionate, and, and and you probably weren't chose them for that reason, but they sound wonderful. Yeah. yeah, my dad was the consummate leader. You know, he always taught me, you know, be a leader, not a follower. There are many followers, but there's only a few leaders, and of the leaders, there's only a few great ones, and you need to be one of those. That was his quote to me. And my mom was a, a hairstylist. And at her wake, uh, woman after woman came up to me and said, your mom, you know, she may have made me look beautiful, but her gift was she made me feel beautiful. Mm. Well, there, there's a... Go ahead. I was going to say, the stories within the book, believe me, it, the book is called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul, and um, you will <laughs> you will love this book. Uh, it's so incredible, I have to tell our listeners. Um, don't, you can go to Robert uh, Clancy's website. It's robertclancy.org, and you'll be able to see... Um, his wonderful website and and um and there's a blog there there's books there and we n- need to touch on some of the other books also Robert that you are in the midst of uh sure yeah forward. the um the other book is um daily downloads and fortune cookies from the universe and that's the first 350 inspirational words that I woke up with and I actually have now 50,000-plus words written. Uh-huh. Um, I have enough to probably have a quote a day for the next five years and never have to repeat them. <laughs> That's how much stuff I've written. Well, people get on your Facebook, too, and read your quotes daily, right? Yes. And, yeah. your, and, the and I do post them at least once, a uh, minimum of once a day, and, and uh, some days two or or more, and I also share other inspirational things. I've, I've got a whole network of people that I've met that are just beautiful souls that have written incredible books and are doing amazing things, and I share their their uh, works as well. Fantastic. And then you have a book uh, that's not out yet. I don't know. Is it almost completed or? Um, yes, the digital book. If you sign up for my uh, newsletter, um, you get the digital version for um, free as a gift. And it's um, you go to signup.guidetothesoul.com, and uh, the ebook that's there is Love's Awakening, and it's a um, 
Healing the Human Spirit, A Poetic Journey. And it's 80, I think, 80 poems that um, I've also written that are almost like daily affirmations. And I tell people, if you read either the Daily Downloads or the Love's Awakening book cover to cover in one sitting, I'm not responsible for what you're due because you're going to OD on love. So you're on your own. There's a disclaimer. I'm just putting that out there. It's it, uh, it's so wonderful that you're able to have your normal uh, company that you run and you're able to do this, and it it makes your life balanced. So... Do you ever feel like it's a burden that you are doing both at the same time? No, and that's a great question. And, and and what it comes down to me is career and calling, and I'm trying to bring both of those into the same parallel. And I, I truly believe both are because our business is always given back to the community, and it's all part of it. So um, when I write the quotes, I literally just come out of bed, I walk over, I'm probably eating Cheerios or Fruit Loops or something, and um, I type up whatever words are in my head, type them in, I make my poster, post it on Facebook, and I go to work. And um, then when I get home, I kind of follow up on it if I have any other stuff or share other items. But it really, as you say, it is balanced. And, um, you know, it's not really a struggle and it's not a burden because it's part of it. And I feel... Um, somewhat freed to be able to share the story of what happened to me, the divine experience, because I know there's people out there that are going to say, you know, he's nuts and he's lost, you know, his marbles now, but I'm the most sane person you'll meet. And um, I'm the most analytical, as I said, and I know what happened. And you can either choose to believe or not. That's your that's your discovery. Um, even my own family, and I tell my son, you need to figure this out for yourself. I know what happened to me but you need to take this journey on your own because each of us have our own journeys. And I don't think it's a burden at all. Um, We have great clients and clients that do wonderful things for the community that they're in and do wonderful things. And and what better way to help them is to market their message and what they do so they can bring the abundance into their companies so that they can continue to do the great things that they do. And we have an incredibly talented staff. Um, Some of our staff members have been with us for 18 years or more. And we've designed, uh, we did the Guitar Hero 3 launch. We've worked with um, Citigroup. We've done projects with Disney, um, Home Depot, Sears, Zales, um, regionally in our area, a lot of associations, law firms, um, you name it, we've worked on it. And we treat each project on that same level. Mm-hmm. Robert, how old is your son? He just turned 16. And um, I just... For some reason, I get the feeling that maybe he has some stories within, too, that um, he probably has shared with you. Yeah, he's done um, some amazing things. Like, I, you know, I didn't even know that he had stood up for a kid in third grade, and I got a call from a mother one day, and, you know, she said, did Sean tell you what happened today with my son? And I'm like, oh, my God, what did he do? <laughs> You know, one of those kind of calls, because I could tell by her voice, you know, there was something. And she said, no, 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 your son did a beautiful thing today. You see, my son has been getting bullied by this other kid in school, and to the point where he locks himself in the closet and doesn't even want to go to school now. And your son stood between this bully and my son and told him to stop. And my son told me about it. He said, did your son tell you what happened? And I said, no, so I, I went over to my son and I said, "Did you have anything happen after school today?" No. <laughs> I said, "Do you remember seeing this other boy and something happened?" He said, "Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's what I do. It's just he wasn't doing something right, and I stopped it." And I think that came from a from his martial arts experience. Um, being able to confront somebody because he's really shy, you know, and at that age he was just particularly shy. And he just naturally did it. And how proud can you be of somebody that just knows the right thing to do? And so, yeah, he'll he'll develop his stories. And his other side is he's very um, nature-driven. Like animals are, I think, where he's going to shine doing something with that. Um, because he can, it's almost like he knows their souls. And I feel like he's like a little Indian chief that I have in my house. You know, it's got that kind of natural... 
you could drop him in the middle of the woods and find him alive. I mean, he built his own shelters and on the playground at his school, and it was such a beautiful, um, it was like an Indian longhouse that they deemed it an art installation, and it was built so well it lasted the entire year, and it was waterproof. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there's something going on there. I'm not sure, but he, you know, <laughs> he definitely has that... Um, Native American natural, and both my wife and I have um, Native American heritage um, in our backgrounds. So there's something there that he, gene-wise, was passed down to him. I was going to say, he's being downloaded also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if we're open open to it, we all can be downloaded. I mean, we can all receive. Right. So you're a good example of that. Uh, well, the downloads don't stop. Mine is like a clear path now. It's like I'm plugged into it. So <laughs> that's how I feel every day. Just go away. <laughs> Wait another No, I, I always ask, um, just said when I, I go to sleep, I just say, just give me something to share that is going to help somebody heal. And I go to sleep. That's it. Perfect. So do you wake up with a microphone in your hand or do you or is the paper and pen? No, um I used to. That's a good question. I used to, you know, I have I actually found my original pad from the initial and it's like chicken scratch on there because it's in like 3 in the morning. I kept waking up at 4:44 every morning for 3 weeks straight. I'd write the time down. I would write the, you know, part of the quote and then they kept um it feels like they, because uh, the the words, and it just keeps going over and over in my mind, like until I get up and and actually write it down, or type it in. And now I I've gotten to the point where they're just stored. I mean, I wake up and it's there, and I it's memorized, and I have them. Uh, it's almost like a rolodex in my mind. I can sit here for quite a while and just start reciting the quotes because they're they're in my head. An example would be. Of all the journeys of life, um, you'll encounter valleys of despair and mountains of hope. Just know that the heavens are above the valleys and the mountaintops touch them. To reach the summit, you just have to take one hope-filled step past your fear, doubt, and worry. All hearts come in one size large. Make sure yours is filled with love. When it's overflowing with love and compassion, it may accidentally spill over onto others. Reach with one hand and you may touch someone. Reach with two and you may touch two. But when you reach with your heart, you'll touch everyone. And I can oh, just keep going. Oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's forever. Oh, what <laughs> what you, I try to oh, pause, you know, <laughs> in between them because quote? it's like you need to soak it in for a second. Oh, I know. <laughs> what was okay. today's quote? There was what? What was this morning's yes, quote? Yes, um, I did. And today's quote is, let love become the language of your life, for your soul already speaks it fluently. Oh, wow. That's nice. Okay, we're talking about love. And <laughs> in your book, you say love is made up of four essential things. L stands for leadership. O stands for opportunity. V stands for volunteerism. And E stands for enthusiasm. Robert Clancy, we have really enjoyed having you with us beyond imaginable. We'd love to have you come back with your next book. Yes, yes. Please. Absolutely. Tap us on the brain, wake us up in the morning, let us know when the time is right. And the people out there, for our listeners, uh, go in on uh, robertclancy.org and uh, get more of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grab the books. Oh my gosh, you won't want to put the book down. Blessings to you, young man. We are so oh, thank you so much. Happy I'm giving you a virtual know. hug, so it's all good. Okay. okay. <laughs> Hugs back. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Blessings. Bye bye. Okay, let's do this. Jog three miles before breakfast. Make it to work by nine. Run out for a salad at lunch. Oh, time to own that meeting at three. Yes, 10,000 steps. What's next? Fearless is not hitting snooze. 
That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. With more healthy benefits and tools, no one does more to help you live fearless. Sign up at fepblue.org slash action by December 14th. 